Joe, uh, are we going to record this week's episode? Yeah, in just a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to catch this fly with a pair of chopsticks. Why are you doing that? Because, I'm, because I've been told that a man who can catch a fly with chopsticks can do anything. You want to try? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here's, here's some chopsticks. Just uh, give it your best shot. Hey, I caught one. Ugh. Okay, that's just beginner's luck. Hello, and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of our favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what is shaking? Oh, not much. Just kicking it here in upstate New York, waiting for Halloween, waiting for the sun to set. Just waiting patiently for the most wonderful time of year. <laughs> How are you? I'm I'm doing well. the 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 southern heat has finally uh, given way to the cool breeze of autumn, and I love it. Yeah, well, we are at full sweater weather here, and it is okay. <laughs> Not a fan. I like sweaters. I don't like the cold. Mm, I so. I understand. But yeah, the the change in weather means it's Halloween season here at the OST party. And well, this is definitely not a Halloween episode, but uh, you know, it has Halloween themes. There's a Halloween scene. There are some jack-o'-lanterns in this movie. Mm-hmm. So according to our, our Christmas creeps rubric, that counts. That really yes. counts. The night <laughs> on the show, because everybody in the world is suddenly talking about uh, the show Cobra Kai, we thought it would be fun to go back and t- discuss... Uh, the original, the one and only, the Karate Kid. The one with Jaden Smith? You know what? I had, <laughs> had to think about the words that I choose because that actually is the one and only, if you're talking about that series, because they only made one. <laughs> but no, we're talking about 1984's The Karate Kid starring Pat Morita, uh, Ralph Baccio, and what the hell is the guy's name? Johnny Karate. What's his name? I don't know. Billy Zabka, I think. Yeah, Billy Zabka. The, the the eternal, uh, the, not Biff Tannen, Billy Zabka. So uh, we'll be talking about The Karate Kid a little bit later. Uh, but first, we have some unfinished business from last last year's episode, it seems like, on the soundtrack <laughs> to Down With Love. Libby, uh, how did that poll shake out? We had a very good soundtrack to choose from, and we only, we only put one Michael Buble track on there. So, but with... Uh, 50% of the vote, the Frank Sinatra version of Fly Me to the Moon won out, which is not surprising. No. Although you were all very disappointing on your showing for Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger's Here's to Love, uh, which came in last at 7%. Uh, the Astrid Gilberto version of Fly Me to the Moon came in at 14%. Down with Love, you guys did show love to Michael Buble, came in with 29%. Down with Michael Buble. 
I hope nobody told them about this episode. We, we have as yet not incurred the wrath of Buble, so... So, Joe, tell us about The Karate Kid. Well, The Karate Kid is a film that is, is very near and dear to my heart because, um, I, you know, it came out in 84. I was born in 86, so I was a little too young for it. Obviously too young for it when it first came around. But uh, <laughs> when I was, you know, seven or eight years old, my parents introduced me to this film. Just, you know, it's a fun uh, 80s action movie with... Uh, karate and you know kids learning valuable lessons about life and things like that and i guess they thought like this would be inspirational to me and indeed it was because because of this movie i went out and took three years of karate lessons nice and uh i don't remember a single thing about it but this movie this is one of those movies that i can definitely just sit down and watch at any point if it's on tv i'll stop what i'm doing and just watch it because it's just it works on me like a charm. And oh, that's sweet. the fact that it's like Rocky for kids is not lost on me, but like, <laughs> man, it really, really works. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, my husband had never seen this. So um, I was thinking about it because my dad is really into Cobra Kai. And I was like, well, we can't watch Cobra Kai until my husband sees uh the karate kid so this episode came at just the right time oh yeah nice so he he enjoyed it i think i saw it as a kid um i mean i sort of remember it um not disliking it not being like oh it's the greatest movie it's like oh it's fun so yeah and there's there's plenty here to to entertain just about anybody oh yeah it's a it's a solid solid film yes you've got the teen drama angle you've got sort of Mm -hmm. the uh the the father son kind of mentor story and then you've got uh just so many karate fights <laughs> yeah it, a lot of karate fights it really is you know it's so easy to call this you know rocky junior but it really really is i mean you've got uh john appleson who directed both films you've got bill conti who did the score for both films and then um you've got a survivor song in here which We'll talk about in a little bit because Survivor, you know, Survivor's Eye of the Tiger is a big part of Rocky Three, and I guess at some point they said, "Well, hey, would, do you want to do a song for this other movie we're making?" <laughs> and indeed, they did. And I, I found out this week for the very first time that the Survivor song, which we'll talk about later in the podcast, is the song that got the music video for this album. That doesn't surprise me, but it's insane to me because the the one song everybody remembers is not the survivor song yeah that's true okay yeah you know oh um, but we're getting way ahead uh, of ourselves here yes so i do have before we get started i do have a little bit of uh billboarding school to talk about because why not of course. so first of all let's talk about the movie the karate kid opened in theaters june 22nd 1984 it was fifth at the box office that week behind just get ready because the movies, okay. movies that were more more profitable than this, Karate Kid, Ghostbusters at number one. Of course. Gremlins. Yes. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Obviously. And speaking of Sylvester Stallone, Rhinestone, starring Sylvester Stallone and Dolly Parton. Okay, that one is, is not familiar to me. And it's uh, Stallone's uh, country music uh, film that he starred in and directed with Dolly Parton. Okay, I hate it. Yeah, it's gonna ha- we're going to have to do it at some point on this show. No, we're not going to disgrace Dolly like that. Fair enough. 
anyway, so the movie uh, did very well. It made $100 million on an $8 million budget. So, of course, they made sequels. And sequels they did because there was not just the one, two, and three, but then part four starring Hilary Swank and Libby's favorite person in the entire universe. Walton Walton Goggins, baby. That's right. And, of course, there's, you know, the Jaden Smith, Jackie Chan remake. And also a cartoon series and also a video game and also Cobra Kai. So this this movie had had, you know, pretty long legs. Yes, indeed. Then here's the Now let's talk about the soundtrack. So oh, the boy. soundtrack came out July 21st uh, and it debuted at number 185. The number one album that week was Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. OK, I thought you were going to say the soundtrack to Rhinestone. <laughs> I wish I hadn't looked up the, the stats for that. Uh, the top <laughs> soundtrack, though, uh, was Purple Rain. Of course. This was the summer of Purple Rain. Yes, indeed. Now, at this point, I want to read to you the top 10 albums on the charts that week, because I think this is like the most 80s list of albums ever. Okay. Okay. So number one, Born in the USA. Number two, uh, Sports by Huey Lewis and the News. Oh, boy. Number three was Purple Rain. Number four, Heartbeat City by The Cars. Number five, uh, Can't Slow Down by Lionel Richie. Number six, Rebel Yell by Billy Idol. Number seven was the Footloose soundtrack. Number eight was the Breakin soundtrack. Number nine was Van Halen's 1984, Rest in Peace, Eddie. Number 10 was ZZ Top's Eliminator. I'm pretty sure that's just the entire soundtrack to The Wedding Singer. <laughs> that's that's pretty much all they play on Classic Rock Radio was those 10 albums right there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's extremely, ex- this is like peak 80s right here. I love it. Yes, indeed. So the soundtrack uh, lasted 12 weeks in the charts, and it kind of hung around the bottom of the charts for until like, uh, October, and then it was gone forever. And the week that it fell off, you know, Purple Rain was number one in the charts. So, yeah, like we said, this is the summer of of uh, Purple Rain and and Footloose and fuck and fucking Footloose. But uh, the Karate Kid was kind of just a a minor hit in the background. It seems like. Yeah, it's a um, it's it's a good movie, but it I think ultimately is kind of a forgettable soundtrack with the the one big song on it. Was it actually even on the soundtrack? Yeah. So yeah, let's let's talk about the Karate Kid a little bit. Libby, where let's should do it? Yeah, uh, where should we start? I think we should start right at the beginning. This soundtrack is not in order, so we're gonna go through the film and point out where each song appears in the film. Okay, sounds good. Um, so yeah, this this film tells the story of Daniel Larusso, played by Ralph Macchio, who is this little young uh, Italian kid from New Jersey. He and his mom are moving to California for some reason. It's never really said why, but I kind of assume that his mom and dad divorced and she's taken it with her. Yeah, he says something about, oh, she got a job out here, but then it shows her waiting tables. Like, she did not move to California for a waitressing job. No. At one point she says, like, she got a job in computers, and then the next time we see her, she's waiting tables at a Chinese restaurant. (laughs) Yeah, so... Um, maybe the, it's like Lisa in the room said, the computer business is just too hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but, uh, so Daniel, uh, moves in to this dingy apartment complex with his mom and, uh, he meets, he meets the, uh, the apartment handyman is Mr. Miyagi played by Pat Morita. And you don't really think much too much of Miyagi at first. He's just kind of there in the background. It doesn't seem to be a very good handyman. No. I mean, we, so, cause we see him they, a little bit, but... Yeah, well, they tell him, like, hey, our, our faucet's leaking. He's like, okay. 
doesn't fix it for another couple days. Like, come on, man. This is your literal job. Like, he can fix stuff, but I don't get the sense that he's got much uh, people in the way of people skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't have much decorum. He just knows what, he can, knows what he's good at and does it. So they go out onto the beach in, well, it's Reseda, I guess, with some of the kids from the uh, the apartment complex and the, the you know the area, and they have a big beach party. Daniel's making friends with all the kids, and it's, this is the first time that he uh, catches the eye of a girl named Allie, played by Elizabeth Shue. And the song that's playing, the first song we get to here is Bop Bop on the Beach. <laughs> I'm so yes. embarrassed, but we have to play it. Yes, let's go to a clip. This song by Jan and Dean. Now, I don't really like surf music. Uh, it's not that it uh, like offends me or bothers me. It just doesn't stick. But this song was produced by Mike Love of the Beach Boys, who will soon be hosting a concert to support Trump's reelection. So fuck him. Okay, two thoughts. A, fuck him. B, G, how could you tell? <laughs> I, I thought it was the Beach Boys until I looked it up. Yes, but actually... Jan and Dean were so hugely influential that we could do an entire show on just them. But here are some of the highlights. Uh, They did a show, and I'm not sure if it's T-A-M-I or Tammy, um, which gave the stage to musicians including James Brown, Chuck Berry, and the Rolling Stones. Now, here's the thing. It was shot in Electron Vision, which was a precursor to high def. And by allowing 800 plus lines of resolution at 25 frames per second, it allowed for big screen enhancement, making it critical to music films and later music videos. Wow. That's the kind of shit these guys pioneered. That's amazing. That's that's like more influential than um, Mike Nesmith. No, yeah, Mike Nesmith of the Monkees, like inventing MTV. Yeah. They invented the process. He invented the channel. Yeah. That's amazing. So, I know. And it's just, again, this sort of like light, you know, surf music beach party scene and a movie about karate. But these guys were a huge fucking deal. <laughs> I went down like a rabbit hole with this. Now, is this is this a, the like a, an original song? Because this has a very like produced like 80s sound to it. Well, I think it's a cover in this one by The Flirts. I couldn't okay. quite tell because um, it it showed as, when you Googled it, coming up as them, but then also crediting The Flirts. Now, The Flirts were uh, an 80s project, sort of a new wave project by uh, Bobby Orlando. And they with like a, a very rapidly changing lineup. So you right. just get these girl singers, send them out, and you know to to perform. So this is that cover. Okay, okay, it's fine. It's fine as far as beach music goes. Yeah, and it's kind of a neat way to incorporate it without sounding too dated because they are young teens. They're not going to be listening to '60s surf music, right? Yeah. So it's a it's a way to keep that sound 
while updating it. Mm-hmm. And at that point, at least in your early 80s, that style of music would have been just old enough that I think nobody would have thought about it anymore. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's too young to be retro, but not old enough to be... Um, or I guess what am I trying to say? It's it's not old enough to be retro yet, but too recent to be remembered, I guess. Yeah. And like I mean, we did have some acts uh, a little later that went with that retro vibe. I mean, if we look back on the blasters from Streets of Fire. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That we're still trying to do that 1950s vibe, but it's a little early right. for that. Mm-hmm. But and also the other thing about this song is it's a really great way to sort of kick the film off because it's so bright and sunny. And this is before everything gets takes a dark turn. in this Yeah. Movie. And it gets dark real fast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because this beach party goes on for fucking ever. It starts on the beach you know, in the daytime. And then all of a sudden it's nighttime. They're all still partying on the beach. And we hear the next song on the soundtrack, which is two to tango. Yes, because this is there's a campfire and he's like mm-hmm. kind of flirting with Allie. Uh, Allie played by a very young, very very baby faced Elizabeth Shue, who has never has never not been fantastic. Oh, she's <laughs> even, adorable, even in stuff like this. Yeah, let's hear a clip of Two to Tango. Yeah, this is this is pretty standard like '80s slow jam kind of music. Yeah, this is um, Paul Davis, who is responsible for one of the most cringy songs of the '80s, which is there's a lot of them. Uh, he wrote "Cool Night," which has the line, "If you don't feel right, you can go." Like, hey, thanks, man, for giving me the option of not being sexually assaulted. I appreciate that. <laughs> thanks, that's really nice of you. Oh, fantastic. This is. It does kind of sound like the music Allie would listen to because Allie wears a sweater vest in just about every scene. And she's very preppy and she's kind of from like the, you know, the right side of town. She's wealthy. Her parents belong to like a country club. Um, But this is kind of the portion of the soundtrack for your tab swilling mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. This one, I, this one kind of drove me crazy though because it takes a lot of really weird key changes. Mm-hmm. I just like these really hideous, like unpleasant chords. Just like ah, oh, that should not have gone there. Oof. <laughs> and it's just a little bit longer than I think it needs to be because it it yeah really overstays its welcome. Yes, it does. Here's the funny thing though. So Paul Davis, I uh, was shot in the gut during a robbery in nashville tennessee oh no like two years later he survived he was coming out of a motel with an unnamed female companion i'm gonna guess that was a hooker (laughs) that's code for it was a hooker yeah yeah so uh but he survived a gut shot in a hotel uh parking lot so that's kind of cool it's kind of badass. Yeah, I mean, I survived a gunshot in Nashville. That's like the best country song ever. <laughs> Except that he's like a he's like an slow 80s, jam artist. 80s soft rock. That's him all over. <laughs> but yeah, this song it it it's it's background music. It's playing on Allie's radio, I think. Yeah, which 
gets sadly broken in the most heart-wrenching sequence in the whole film, frankly. Oh, my God, yeah, because as soon as, you know, Daniel and, and Allie start, start to have their meet-cute, and as soon as it's going well, here comes Johnny Lawrence and his gang of Cobra Kai dipshits <laughs> riding up on <laughs> their motorcycles. Yes! So, and Johnny used to date Allie, which is strange because he looks like he's about 24, and she looks like she's about 14. Mm-hmm. It's a little uh, comfortable. Yes. He mentions, though, that he's going to be a senior, and I assume she's probably about a sophomore. That, it's just, uh, just this, she's kind of bat-faced. Yeah, she's, she's just, I mean, she and Daniel are on sort of proper footing, but she and, and yes. Johnny, it's a little icky. Yeah, and it's, I will say this, it's nice that the teenagers in this film, for the most part, look like teenagers. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, like, the, the secondary characters and, like, the friend characters that are hanging around the school they actually look like school kids yeah they're not you know 35 year old teenagers yeah um and he is really like dialing up the pressure on her like you have to talk to me you have to talk to me yeah yeah so, and, and then what, what kills me about, what kills me about this scene though is when he he first comes up and they're like uh or johnny mentions that you know this is his senior year and he's gonna he's gonna fly straight and get out of this town Tommy, who you kidding you're still the ace degenerate no, ex-degenerate, man. 8 a.m. tomorrow, I'm a senior. I've got one year to make it all work. And that's what I'm going to do. Make it work. All of it, <laughs> right? That's right, man. And what he is trying to say is that he's going to stop being a jerk and stop, you know, fucking around and actually, like, take himself seriously. And then he immediately jumps to just kicking the shit out of Daniel. He has poor impulse control. He really, really does. He beats Dan up, Daniel up on the beach, breaks Ali's radio, and just, ugh. Man, just backsliding back into Assholeville. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, as they're riding by, there's always that old ad that you would see in the back of comic books of, you know, some little nerd getting sand kicked in his face while some jock runs off with his girlfriend. That's pretty much what happens here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly what happens. They just blow sand in Johnny's face. Or sorry, they blow sand in Daniel's face. And everyone's, like, weirdly shaming Daniel. Like, any you motherfucker stand up to Johnny? No, he at least tried. Yeah, like, his neighbor buddy who brought him along, like, that guy's friends tell him to ditch Daniel because, oh, that guy's a loser. He can't even kick Johnny's ass. Yeah, like, Johnny's a black belt from Cobra Kai. Like, no one's going to be able to kick this guy's ass. He's the karate champion. Like, what who's, What are you going to do, really? Yeah, exactly. Also, he's a senior uh, meaning he's presumably 18, picking on a literal child. Yep, it is. So, a, Freddy, the, everyone back off. Leave Daniel alone, even though he's a petulant little wimp. So, yeah. Everything that happens in, the, in this film is, in fact, child abuse. Yes. Up to and including the final fight scene. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. We could do a whole podcast on the final fight scene alone, oh, and we're God, not the yeah. first. We, yeah, we, we've, this is well-trodden territory, but man, it's there for a reason. <laughs> so so daniel goes to school with a black eye he tries to like play it off to his mom like, oh no nothing nothing happened i just you know whatever and it's kind of the start of a pattern for him where he like tries to hide his injuries from his mom and it's actually kind of traumatic yeah like, it really is i get where he's coming from with this really like, you, yeah he's trying to protect his mom because what's mom gonna do mom's gonna go to to johnny or johnny's parents and complain and that's just gonna make things worse yeah. So he's just trying to, like, tell her, you know, I'm, I'll deal with it. Don't worry about it. And he goes to school on his bike, and Cruel Summer by Banana Rama is playing in yes. its entirety. 
Yes, it's like a music video where more or less nothing happens. It plays out through like three entire scenes. Including where he's, you know, having a second meet cute with Allie and then he gets his butt kicked by Johnny on the soccer field and they fight and he gets kicked off the soccer team. He's like, this school sucks. And meanwhile, (laughs) Bananarama is singing Cruel Summer in the background. Yep. Now this this song, this movie is the like world premiere of Cruel Summer. And it baffles me that this song didn't get put on the soundtrack. It was I wonder if it was just became sort of too big. They didn't want to squander it. Maybe. Or maybe, yeah, the film was just small enough that they couldn't afford it in the first place. So I don't know. Yeah. But um obviously this song became a giant worldwide sensation Mm -hmm. uh kathy valentine of the go-go's writes about hearing this song and being a little peeved just because recognizing that they paved the way for bananarama and now there were all these other girl bands and the go-go's were sort of on their way to being forgotten oh yeah so i you know it's you know i mean she obviously wished them no harm but it was just like huh well, we, we helped bring them there. We do finally see Bananarama on a soundtrack proper. Uh, you, we talk a little bit about it in our episode of Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. That's right. So for more, uh, more thoughts about uh, Bananarama, please go check that one out. And incidentally, the Go-Go's. And the Go-Go's, yeah. One shot in this that, that I had to take note of was like as Daniel's walking by uh, you know, down the hall at school, the camera stops on this like giant plaque on the side of the building yes and it says this building dedicated to truth liberty and toleration by the native sons of the west and that along with like shots of you know daniel and his mom driving through you know monument valley on their way to to, uh california and he's talking to his history teacher about like manifest destiny and stuff like this movie is really invested in you making you think it's kind of a western and i don't know why I don't know why they thought that was important or that these are important details, but they're there. <sighs> and especially with as obsessed as this movie is going to become with, you know, a Japanese culture and things like that. Like the, it's it's I guess it's that East meets West thing, but it's very ham handed. Um, I actually hadn't noticed that, but that's kind of neat that you point that out because now I'm like, OK, yeah, I can see that. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, it probably is sort of an East meets West uh, vibe they're going for. It, so. it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I don't think. No. But, you know, the the, the details are there. Um, mm-hmm. And then further along my notes, I wrote, Cruel Summer is still playing, by the way, like 10 lines down. <laughs> yes. Until, um, well, let's see. So Daniel realizes he's got to fight. He's got, he has to learn how to fight to protect himself. So he starts practicing karate out of a book. And this is the first time that Miyagi really, like, meets him proper. Mm-hmm. He kind of comments on uh, Daniel learning karate out of a book. Like, that's a dumb thing to do. Yeah. You can't. Because you can't. You really can't. You can look at the pictures and see the uh, the instruction, but it's not the, it's no substitute for the real mm-hmm. thing. But then Daniel goes to uh, the, the Cobra Kai dojo to learn karate, not realizing that that's where Johnny and all of his goons go to practice. Oh, yes. And there are so many goons. So, so many. Honestly, though, I could not tell you. I know one of them is named Dutch. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you which one it is. According to uh, Wikipedia, it's the one played by Chad McQueen, Steve McQueen's son. Uh, 
I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. There's there's Dutch. There's Tommy. There's apparently one named Bobby Brown, which is kind of funny. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just a bunch of bunch of dudes. And here's yeah. okay. I have to stop again because here's a theory that I have about this movie. This okay. is the point where we meet um, the dojo, the the, the sensei, uh, Crease, played by the the fantastically awful Martin Cove. And I say that just because he's such a he's such a piece of work in this movie. Yeah, they're, he's raising a bunch of little serial killers. He really is. He's brutal. But here's where I have this theory because certain like certain mannerisms that Cove does and certain like turns of phrase and, and motions, he really looks like Harrison Ford. He really, really looks like Harrison Ford in this movie. And then I notice I don't all, see it. You don't? No. There, there are certain times where I just I, I see Han Solo. Not necessarily. In, I see like David Hasselhoff. Uh, yeah, I could kind of see that too. He's too eighties for Han Solo, like way too eighties. This is the year. This is the year after Return of the Jedi. What are you? Talking I know, about? but Return of the Jedi didn't have like an eighties vibe because it had a sci-fi vibe. This guy just looks too. Like, he definitely has a Camaro. Oh no, one hundred percent. Yeah, he probably has a compact disc player. <laughs> Absolutely, and he's got one of the ten CDs that came out with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of those ten CDs. What is it? The Nightfly. Okay. I'll believe that. No, I take that back. He wouldn't have the Nightfly. He's got nothing but Billy Joel and Huey Lewis. I buy that he listens to Huey Lewis 100%. Yeah, because he, he's, a, he's a psycho. He's a psycho. He 100% listens to Hip to be Square. Yeah. But uh, back to my point. So I, I think he looks like Harrison Ford. And then that makes me, made me notice all of the, the students. And they're all like these weird toe-headed blonde kids who kind of sort of look like Luke Skywalker. Or Hitler Youth. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So wait, are you saying that Johnny Karate is Luke Skywalker? Are you saying he's the hero of this film? No, I'm saying he's bizarro Luke Skywalker. Okay. Because, so, there are, there's a scene, another scene later on where, um, Allie, there's a Halloween party and Allie is dressed like, kind of like a flower maiden sort of thing, but she's definitely dressed like Princess Leia, right? except for the hair and the buns, it's basically a Princess Leia dress. Okay. And it just makes me wonder if they're doing this on purpose and like they're tr- they're trying to make you think about Star Wars when you watch this movie. Because again, this is the year that after Return of the Jedi came out, Star Wars is still the most popular thing ever. Yeah. And I feel like they're, they're trying to ride the coattails of that by like having a bunch of kids that kind of look like Mark Hamill and having a guy who kind of looks like Harrison Ford. And just reminding you of Star Wars at every turn just because that's what's popular. Uh, I don't know. I think we should take it to our listeners. Yeah. Uh, if you th- if you agree with us or disagree with us, tell me how wrong I am, please. Okay. Text us or tweet at us at OST Party on Twitter. So we, uh, we get one of our many catchphrases in. Uh, Cobra Kai's motto is... What do we say here? Next day at school, he's talking to Allie and her friends and telling her, telling them about how cool his bike is. Whatever. Yeah. But in the background, we hear the next song on our soundtrack, which is Rhythm Man. By St. Regis. 
Yes, by St. Regis. Uh, so let's take a listen to that one. is such an oingo boingo kind of knockoff little devo in there that <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a secret Danny Elfman side project because this is the one song they recorded and there is no information about them. This sounds like it came out of a Revenge of the Nerd soundtrack or something. Yes. It, it's catchy. It kind of is. It's very, I like the synth pop kind of sound of it. Yeah. And the marimbas sort of mm-hmm. in the third act there. Yeah, it's not bad, but again, it, it doesn't really say Karate Kid to me. No. It's out of pl- oh. out of place here. Yeah, I, I li- yeah, Revenge of the Nerds would probably be a better place for it. You're right. <laughs> so, but it's it's one of the catchier songs on on the soundtrack. And again, it plays pretty heavily. Oh, you yeah. Know? They're not just doing like a stinger there. Definitely one of the more memorable tunes. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, so I, it should also be noted that he is wearing plaid tucked into camo. This is how how far removed is this from like uh, Red Dawn? I have no idea. Like probably like a year or two, but it's it's that same kind of look. It's he's it's like lumberjack meets like survivalist kind of look. Because at this point, Daniel is in survival mode. So I guess that makes sense. Red Dawn actually came out the same year, nineteen eighty four. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, definitely. There's a, a little bit of Red Dawn in this. Huh. Um, I didn't pick up on that. I just picked up on that he is a terrible dresser. Well, yeah, because they all are. But that's that's a good read. Also, I I can't be alone in the fact that I find Daniel deeply unpleasant. He's a little shit, yeah. Yeah. He sucks as a protagonist. He's the worst. Yeah, and, and the only reason we root for him is because Johnny is just that much worse. Well, yeah, because Johnny is an Aryan poster child. Of course. But I, you're right, though. Like, a lot of the kids in these 80s movies turn out to just be huge pieces of shit. Yeah. And I th- I'm, I don't remember if I mentioned this on this show or not, but, like, we, re- we recently watched uh, Fright Night, the original Fright Night and mm-hmm. the main like teenage kid in that is just the worst. He like a- is like a- allergic to his own girlfriend, and I wanted to strangle him. But he's also the hero of the movie, <laughs> and I think it's just a thing in eighties movies. Yeah, we felt that way in uh, we watched Little Monsters. Like Fred Savage sucks. Oh he- yeah, he's he's a cool guy, but like that character sucks. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess it was just we had different values in the 80s, so kids were allowed to be pieces of shit like this. So, and then, I mean, I'm an 80s kid, so I'm like, was I a piece of shit? I mean, I I was a very little kid in the right. 80s, but still. You have to be a little reflective and wonder. Yes. Was I this awful to my parents, mm. to everybody? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, so the next thing that we see is... Uh, Daniel goes home and he goes to Miyagi's sort of little workshop and Miyagi is clipping bonsai trees. And he's repaired his bike that he threw he, in the garbage can. That's right. That's right. So, so we're starting to, to thank him. Yeah. We're starting to slowly piece together who Miyagi is. Mm-hmm. Did and you ever that, have a bonsai tree? Never did. No. 
I had one in college. I killed it, but oh, I think they're very neat. They are, yeah. And I, I don't know. It's just not a skill that I've ever des- desired, really. Yeah. But it's it's really hit Miyagi's first lesson to Daniel is to teach him to to calm down and concentrate and just take a deep breath before he clips a bonsai tree. That's really his first like karate lesson. Yeah. Accidentally. He mentions that he's from Okinawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, my granddad was stationed over there during Korea. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So oh. my grandmother went over to visit him, which was insane because she was from Oklahoma and had never flown overseas. So it was a very, very big deal that she went to stay with him when he was in Okinawa. Ah. So she has a she has a lot of stuff that she brought back from there. She has a lot of good stories about being over there. She loved it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, she really loved the people and had a very, very nice time while she was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll we definitely learn more about Miyagi's backstory uh, in in later scenes. Yeah, we start to learn a little from here. I love his line: "If it comes from inside you, it is always the right one," mm-hmm. which is a great lesson for creatives. Yeah, because we can it's... overthink it a lot, and I've I've been thinking about that. Uh, in my own creative life, mm-hmm. since since I watch this, Cause, because Daniel's been at, he asks him, you know, what if I cl- clip the wrong branch? And Miyagi says, if it comes from inside, you know, it's not, it won't be wrong. Mm-hmm. If you just believe in yourself; it won't be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Believe in your art. Exactly. And Daniel mentions to Miyagi that the you know, there's the Halloween dance coming up that night, and he doesn't want to go because he doesn't want to be seen by Johnny and his goons, and he. So Miyagi decides to make him a costume by using a shower curtain and curtain rods and basically hiding him in his own makeshift uh, shower so that he can walk, wander around the dance and not be seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, a, that's a great costume. It's kind of a cool costume, yeah. It's, it's very complicated. That's kind of why I like it. Mm-hmm. Mm. But then the, the song that's playing at the dance is not on the soundtrack. It's a song called Please Answer Me by Broken Edge. Yes, we have another Broken Edge song mm-hmm. on the soundtrack, but uh, it's not this one, which is too bad because I actually kind of like this song. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool little, little track. I prefer it to the other one, to be honest. Yeah. So, you know, we see all these Halloween costumes. Joe, what was your best Halloween costume as a kid? Oh. For one, you mm-hmm. know, you remember that was favorable. I remember having a really good Mario costume when I was like six or seven. Nice. The blue jumpsuit, the red, sh- the blue overalls and the red shirt and the red cap. Oh, that was, that was great. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I don't remember a lot of them. I remember I went as Elvira one year Ooh. Um, and I wore uh, my mom's bra and like padded it with socks. So I was just again, this like probably like. 83 pound child with his double d chest mm. so i i still want to, i and i hadn't even like seen elvira i was sort of aware of her but um you know because she was you know marketing everything in the 80s and i still i still love elvira to this day i really should revamp that costume i don't <laughs> think there are any pictures of me in it sadly that would be great yeah yeah so send us your favorite childhood halloween costumes yes embarrass yourself for our pleasure i mean i mean share with the class won't you (laughs) (laughs) 
hey, if it came, if the costume came from inside you, it was the right one. That's right. Embrace, embrace your goofy childhood costumes. That's right. So uh, Daniel gets one over on Johnny because Johnny is in the bathroom in a stall rolling joints. Which I assumed, and I think this comes from seeing Am I Normal uh, at a formative age where a character thinks that somebody is in the bathroom masturbating. That's sort of what I assumed Johnny was in there doing. I mean, yeah, like if you're in the bathroom and somebody says, hey, what's taking so long? That's probably what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So, but here we hear uh, Broken Edges, No Shelter. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's go to a clip there. No shelter. It's easy to come. No shelter. I was disappointed to find out that this was not the original song that Rage Against the Machine covered. No. Godzilla. <laughs> Somehow, I don't know if that's better or worse. Because <laughs> it's Rage Against the Machine, which is good, but it's Godzilla, which is bad. It's so. two great flavors. Wait, no, that's not right. Now, this I always felt like would fit on the Bill and Ted soundtrack. Yeah, this, it's a very, like, upbeat kind of track. It would work yeah. better on that one, I think. Yeah, because it's got that sort of innocuous but upbeat 80s rock sound that's, like, made for the middle section filler of any 80s soundtrack. Yeah, this is wacky hijinks kind of music. Yeah, which the the bathroom scene sort of becomes wacky hijinks when he sneaks in and puts the hose and, like, sprays Johnny. Yeah. But just, like... A kid rolling a joint in a bathroom stall isn't particularly wacky. I think no. this one just needed a little more montage wackiness. I mean, if that makes sense. Now, well, the uh, chase scene needed to be a little sillier, I think. Yeah. They chased Daniel out of the dance into the street, and he's like jumping cars, and cars are crashing all over him. And it's just, it's, it's intense and that yeah. needed to have gone it should have been the the chase scene from racing arizona basically yeah maybe not quite that silly but it, it's yeah. it's kind of dark when the cars crash into each other you know for a, a pg rated kids movie now i could find absolutely nothing about the band broken edge mm -hmm. there was a french metal band also called Broken Edge. They released their first EP in 1993. Uh, the Broken Edge that we are talking about had one album, Time for Change, also in 1984. It has no reviews, critically or user submitted on all music. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like the internet just memory hold that band, huh? Yep. That's a shame. So, but like, just that johnny goes so insane that guy really has like mental problems he does. he's deranged you know if if daniel had just like waited a few minutes for johnny to like smoke that joint johnny would never have kicked his ass because he would have been too mellowed out exactly but yeah they all they the gang up on him and kick the shit out of him and i think it's bobby that's like stop beating up on him come on he can't even stand and johnny's like no we have to you know snap his spine into it. it's like mortal combat yeah really and finish him 
<laughs> Bobby, there, that, he's that one dude who the, throughout the whole film is just like, no, let's take it easy on him. What what's what is our problem with this kid anyway? Yeah, so and, we're a bunch of yeah. deranged psychos. But he's also one of them, which is why when Miyagi shows up to save the day, he gets his ass kicked too. Mm-hmm. Well, he and, deserves it. He, he does. He really does. I mean, he could he could have stopped Johnny, like actually stopped him, but no, he didn't. But uh, yeah, Miyagi just wipes the floor with all of them. And it's kind of impressive. <laughs> it's kind of impressive to watch. Yes. This is when the actual like sort of main plot of the movie comes together. Daniel wants Miyagi to train him in karate. So they go to the Cobra Kai dojo and ask, you know, the Cobra Kai kids to lay off Daniel. And Miyagi sets up this um, agreement where Daniel will fight in the All Valley Karate Tournament. And in return, Johnny and his goons will lay off Daniel until the tournament. And they'll settle things at the tournament. Which, you know, in the in the uh, in the timeline of this film, it's already been Halloween. The tournament comes up right before Christmas. So Daniel has about a month to train. Mm-hmm. So or two episodes of the OST party. Yeah, exactly. Or one if we're having you know a particularly rough week. <laughs> but uh, so Miyagi sets to train Daniel in karate. And he does so by basically giving him menial tasks around his home. Which... I, which is a clever thing, a, like a clever ruse in the film, but it's also it also feels a little bit more like true to like martial arts because from the, what little I actually know of martial arts, they were basically invented for you know common people to to defend themselves against you know in, invading you know whoever's mm-hmm. right you know all the the old school uh, like the, the the weapons that you you think of are all like you know farming implements yeah. Made two weapons so all the stuff that miyagi has daniel doing waxing the cars wax on and wax off or um sanding the floor painting the fence all of these things that he does are training him to do do various blocks left or right up or down and this whole like 30 minute stretch of the film where daniel's doing all this stuff it's a great little magic trick the film does and when he when it pays off when miyagi like shows him like i've actually been training you this whole time it's pretty great. Yeah. We didn't mention that he uh, was nominated for an Academy Award for this. No, we didn't. But uh, his, so. the, the, one, the scene that really like uh, lands him that nomination is coming up shortly. Yes. Now, the filmmakers here really did their homework. And this is based on uh, the screenwriter's childhood memories. Uh, but Mr. Miyagi claims he is descended from Chojun Miyagi, who founded the uh, Godru Ryu School of Karate by blending Okinawan and Chinese influences. They tied it in with, you know, something that, that is very real and very well-respected, mm-hmm. which I like. Yeah, they, they do a good job of that. And um, personal uh, connection, the three years of karate that I actually took when I was a kid it was this exact style. Oh, karate. awesome. So when I found that out, I, oh, man, I was over the moon. Like, oh, man, I'm learning karate, kid karate. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I made it all the way to Greenbelt, and then I never went back. Oh. So. It happened. You know, whatever. Well, so, but you were uh, you were studying along the same as uh, Robert Mark Kamen. Yep. And Ralph Macchio, as it turns out. Yes. Now, if you, now you have to learn how to do stuff from the transporter. Oh boy! So I gotta grease myself up and just like throw fire rent- fire hoses everywhere. I yep. can do that. 
I can deflect a missile with a steel tray. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we got to back up for a minute because we actually missed a song when we're talking about all these uh, Daniel's training lessons. Uh, so after the wax on, wax off lesson, Daniel goes on a date, his first official date with Allie. And they go to an arcade called Golf and Stuff. It's where I get my golf and most of my stuff. Yes. And the song that's playing in this scene is... It's Baxter Robinson's Feel the Night. Feel the Night, yes. Let's take a listen to Feel the Night. Can you feel the night coming out of nowhere in the lights? I want you to be there. See, when I'm listening to it, it's like I feel something. Like, I feel that stirring that I think they want you to feel. Mm -hmm. But you immediately forget it. It's just the most, like, sort of hyper-generic commercial melody that just doesn't last. It's the fruit stripe gum of (laughs) pop songs. It's like 60% of the way to a Cars song, but it's not quite there. Yep. It's fine. It's not one of the more memorable songs. Yeah, and again, 90% of this movie is montage. Mm-hmm. Because it's just a montage of them on this date, which I'm going to be honest, looks like the most fun date in the world. Oh, yeah. But all I could think of the whole time, like when they're showing the water slide, which they set up, you think it's going to be like Chekhov's water slide, because they're like, we'll go on that sometime, and then they never do, and I'm kind of disappointed. Oh, I know, I... right? <laughs> They make a whole point of like, we'll go on it sometime. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I don't have a bathing suit. And she's like, yeah, well, next time. Yeah. And then it never happens. <laughs> never happens. No. Uh, honestly, this- if we were like YouTube critics, we could spend a whole stupid episode of our pointless YouTube show saying that the Karate Kid sucks because they never went on the water slide. <laughs> of course. Loose plot For- thread. But if, if uh, this. If this were the first ten episodes of Christmas Creeps, we would spend the next half hour trying to name all of the all of the uh, pinball machines in the background of the scene. I bet you would. And I could actually identify two of them. So, huh, whatever. But uh, I'm I actually sort of miss I, Flight Two Thousand. It's whatever. Yeah, I just I would go on that date in a heartbeat. That looks like so much fun. The only thing is that I couldn't not see the boardwalk. From the Lost Boys. Like, I kept waiting for, like, Kiefer Sutherland and his vampire mullet to show up. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just waiting for it. Wouldn't it have been great if they walked past, like, a bulletin board with all of these, like, missing persons flyers on it? Yeah. All the people that Johnny Lawrence has murdered. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want to see that. I want to see Johnny Lawrence the vampire. Ralph Macchio, Vampire Hunter. The secret final twist in Karate Kid is that Johnny Lawrence is actually a vampire. It makes so much sense now. Yeah, it's much closer to Lost Boys than Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I'll I'll give you that one. Okay. So the two things that I I noted in the scene was that the thing that really endeared me to Allie, and there's there's a lot lot to like about Allie in this film, particularly that she is actually like a fully fleshed out character and not the girl. But there's a scene where she says, like, hey, come on, there's this, there's this really cool game I want to show you. And the, first of all, like, oh, be still my heart. But also, <laughs> she's, it's, it's cool that she's actually, like, invested in this relationship, too. Yeah. And that she and, stands up to an abusive jerk. Yeah. 
this it's a two-way street and she's as much as into daniel as he is into her yeah but we then st- we stand a bat-faced queen <laughs> that's oh that's so mean but yeah yeah <laughs> but she's the, a really the, little bat-faced girl oh <laughs> the in the button that ends the scene i hate it so much i hate johnny so much because he shows up to like make fun of daniel as 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 his mom's picking them up from the date and it's not enough that he makes fun of, of Daniel in front of Allie and his mom. He then insults Mrs. LaRusso's car to her face. I know. Like, in case you didn't hate this guy already. It's like, yeah, nice car, Daniel's mom. Fuck like, you. I know. Just because yeah, you're the villain doesn't mean you have to be a jerk off. Right. Rude. So, so rude. Although Daniel then becomes like a, you know, petulant little asshole. Why don't you go mm. with that? Like, because I didn't want to. Like, boo. I'm full of toxic masculinity and pent up white guy rage. Hey, yo, I'm from New Jersey. I don't know no better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so more Miyagi lessons. And we find out they get the revelation that Miyagi's been teaching him karate this entire time. Yes. We get the uh, catching a uh, fly with chopsticks. Yes. Which Daniel catches one. And so the learner has become the master. And Miyagi is so mad. He is. He's so pissed. I love that. <laughs> but then Daniel comes back to Miyagi's house one night, and he finds Miyagi absolutely stinking drunk. And this might be the best scene in, in the entire movie, like music or no. Mm-hmm. And this is the one that got, I think, got uh, Pat Morita the Oscar nomination. Because Miyagi is is observing, you know, the his wife's anniversary, he, he and his wife's anniversary. And he's getting absolutely shit-faced. And... We see Miyagi in his full uh, army, his full army uniform, full regalia, all of his medals and awards. And he's got her picture and a notice that he received in 4445 saying that she passed away yes. in the internment camp while he was stationed in Germany. Yes, November 2nd, 1944. So we will have to observe the day of uh, Mrs. Miyagi's passing. Absolutely. And um, I think they pointed out, or they, they made a point of having Miyagi be, he was a member of the 442nd Infantry Regiment in World War II, which was a, the an all-Japanese-American regiment. It was apparently the most highly decorated of the entire war. And I, I think, I don't know, the this scene is just so tragic, and it, it puts Miyagi's entire existence in this movie in a different light. Yeah, because he he's such a loner, and, you know, Daniel's kind of the only person he seems to have. Um, yeah. And especially because his son died. His, from he, His wife and his son died in, you know, from complications of childbirth in an internment camp. So while he was off fighting for a country that didn't even see him as a citizen, put his wife in a camp. He received the Medal of Valor from a country... Mm-hmm. That mm. saw him as the enemy, especially yeah. because he's an immigrant. He came to America. He wasn't born here. Right. And so, you know, you can look at that even now and it, it sort of it, it it hits more now here in 2020 as yeah, we have our own horrible. I wouldn't even say they're internment camps. I mean, they're flat out concentration camps. Oh, yeah, definitely. But you know, he still fought for this country. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful little scene. Yeah. 
But also what can be overstated is that, you know, he lost his son in childbirth. Therefore, he had no one to pass on his his martial arts knowledge to yes. until Daniel comes along. Mm-hmm. And that puts their relationship in such a different light. Yeah. And it makes the final stretch of the film that much more potent. Yeah. And you see in the next scene, you know, Daniel is getting up early to go fight the ocean. Um, he's really committed to his practice. Mm-hmm. You know, he's practicing his balance. Um I'm I'm sorry. Fight the ocean. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> because yeah, that's really what he's doing. Yeah, he tells him to to go. You know, learn balance in the ocean. But no, he's fucking like trying to kick the with the waves. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, he's he does learn punching eventually. That was a big thing for him. Mm. Um, he says you have to put the power of your whole body into one inch, and you know, he's he's punching him in. He's got like a base. Mr. Miyagi's got like a baseball vest on so he can punch him without hurting him. And even though, you know, he's getting better, he's learning, he's becoming a more mindful student. He's still showing off and Mr. Miyagi takes him the fuck down. Oh, yeah. Knocks him down. Hits him in the back of the head. <laughs> says, you show off too much. Yeah. What do you think, Mr. Miyagi, huh? Hey! I tell you how to Miyagi think. I think you dance around too much. I think you talk too much. I think you're not concentrated enough. Lots of work to be done. And uh, so, and, and Daniel's learning more about himself and becoming a better person along the way too, mm-hmm. because uh, at a certain point, uh, he, he has another date with Allie. He has to go to her country club to pick her up. And then we get this country club scene where Allie and her parents are at this big dinner of some kind. And guess what? Johnny Lawrence is there too. That asshole. Yeah. And they're playing the song Young Hearts in the scene, I believe. Yes. And this is by a band called Commuter. It was like a, an electronic act, like an electropop. Mm-hmm. Um, it leads so heavily into the synths. And when I was first listening to it, I was like, oh, look at this cheesy shit. But I really like the vocals. And that's a guy named Dave Miranda. And I so I was I was looking them up because I actually kind of started to dig it, and we'll post this in our show notes. But the one of the few things I could find was a link from his wife Kathy's website, where she's a photographer <laughs> and she made a cookbook of desserts. And she's like, "Oh, my husband found some old uh, MP like some old files from his uh, his commuter days. So we're gonna put those up on iTunes." <laughs> It's oh, so- okay. I, I I see that you sent me this. Hey, let me let me open this up real quick. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. I know. Oh, this is adorable. I know. Just like that, he found some old tracks. They're gonna put them up on <laughs> iTunes. Oh. Yeah. That was from two thousand and nine. Yeah. Too. Oh, oh man. <laughs> we'll put this in the show notes because it's just it's too good it's, not to share. It's King of Prussia Historical Society level adorableness yeah if we had any uh any wherewithal we would start like a whole collection of like websites for like uh former or no longer extant bands mm-hmm. <laughs> artists yes this, this is great yes oh um, it you know it's got that real cheesy 80s veneer but yeah. there's a kind of rawness to his voice that i i sort of dig 
my favorite part of the song is in the chorus uh, when he he says, "Young hearts beat fast, driving down the road," and then he describes the four basic elements of what makes up a car. Yes, driving down the road, rubber, plastic, metal, glass. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's simple, but it's effective. Um, mm-hmm. there is also another band named Commuter that uh, I think had had some singles uh, in 2016. So if you look up Commuter, you're going to find a New York City-based band. And if you look up Broken Edge, you're going to find a French thrash metal band. Mm, yeah. But we're here to tell you the difference, tell you which one to look for. Yeah, we'll set you straight. And Daniel takes this opportunity to continue being a petulant jerk to uh, Allie because she see he sees... Uh, Johnny Karate kissing her and he gets all mm. mad but clearly it's against her will we know that as the audience but you know Daniel just throws a fit and gets spaghetti dumped all over him <laughs> so he gets all for wearing white yeah all of us all over his white suit oh boy that's what you get for wearing white after Labor Day mm-hmm. and yep. uh, later her friend fills him in and yep. back at the arcade yes and he's like oh you know can't you forgive me like bitch you didn't say sorry that's true yeah but they make up because it's the last act of the film and they've gotta gotta keep their because love story going she, because she has to yeah yeah and he mentions that the tournament is tomorrow <laughs> he's like, oh by the way the tournament's tomorrow uh do you still love me yeah because i'm probably gonna die and the uh, when Mr. Miyagi is talking to the Cobra Kai sensei, he seems to have no qualms with, like, straight up murdering a child. Oh, no. Yeah. And it's funny because in my head, I think I thought the line, if he dies, he dies from Rocky Four. was from this because it's also another blonde sociopath that one played Mm -hmm. by Dolph Lundgren yeah and especially like if in uh in the all valley tournament you know Daniel gets his leg basically cut in half but then yeah Kreese is just like well if he dies he dies (laughs) 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 but also Allie is kind of crucial to the the next scene because when they get to the tournament, she basically has to explain to both of both Daniel and Miyagi how everything works because neither one of them know what the hell they're doing. Yes. And then you're like, wait, why does she know all this? Oh, right. She dated Johnny. She dated a karate guy. I, yep. She also steals the black belt mm-hmm. that he wears. Because you can't be in the tournament without a black belt. Mm-hmm. So I think this is where again uh, we couldn't I couldn't pick him out of the lineup, but I think it's Dutch who comes in and like threatens him. Yeah, that's Dutch. So which I like to think of this as like an an early version of Dutch Wagenbach on the Shield. Like I like to imagine <laughs> that he was Dude, like was yeah he was like a psychotic karate fighter and then. Mm-hmm. You know, fast forward, you know, however many years later, he's just a middle-aged divorce detective. They both, <laughs> both uh, 
both of them have like weird rage issues under their skin. Yeah, and not to cast aspersions or anything, but like, look at that guy's nostrils and how flared they are. Oh yeah, he's on all the coke oh, yeah. right now. Oh yeah, there's no way he's not. <laughs> but then he's grinding then, his teeth. The tournament. The tournament. The All Valley Karate Tournament. The the scene that the entire movie's been leading up to. The only thing anyone cares about with the Karate Kid is this tournament. <laughs> and oh boy. We're going to have a time talking about this because it's You're the Best by Joe Esposito. Let's hit it. This is Joe Esposito's second time. On uh-huh. the podcast, he also sang Lady, Lady, Lady on the Flashdance soundtrack, which is essentially the Karate Kid for girls. It is. And uh, apparently he offered this song to Flashdance and they said no. Yeah. I could... But they also he also offered this to um, uh, Rocky Three. This was originally written for Rocky Three, mm-hmm. And they turned it down in favor of Survivor's Eye of the Tiger. I think it works here better because it's not... <sighs> It's not good enough for an adult film. Yeah, it's it's very like nakedly kind of inspirational, mm-hmm. and I think that works in a film for kids. Yeah, um, it just tries like so hard. It's got like that ripping guitar part. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's funny. I know this song. I've always known this song, but now when I think about it, I hear the health inspector from Bob's Burgers. Because he sings it over the credits of an episode. Oh, that's right. So I just hear his goofy, high-pitched voice singing it. And isn't the, he also like he keeps referring? He keeps like addressing Bob directly in the song too. I think so. Because the man's got to learn to take it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, specifically with the line uh, "History repeats itself. Try and you'll succeed." You know, that was specifically like a reference to Rocky Three, because of course. Rocky's always getting into these kinds of fights. Yeah. So, not to be confused with uh, history repeating by the propeller heads from the soundtrack to There's Something About Mary. Oh, man. If Shirley Bassey had sung this song, that <laughs> Man. Amazing. Where's, where's that soundtrack? <laughs> oh. But so, yeah, this montage of, you know, the Cobra Kai guys beating the shit out of his randos and Daniel kind of accidentally worming his way to the, the final round. And I noticed this time around that a lot of the Cobra Kai guys are just straight up punching people in the face. Yeah. Which I, I didn't think would have been illegal in a karate tournament. Apparently I was, I, we, I sent you an article and we'll post this in the show notes uh, from Jezebel where apparently eighties karate was it was a blood sport. There was yeah, no padding. Was. There was no, I mean, you just were in there to just kick somebody's ass. And again, these are all adults. And I mean, how is Johnny even able to fight? He's 14. <laughs> At most, he's 16. And they, right. they're put, pitting him against like adults. Yeah. Some of these guys are just, I mean, they, they're, they can't possibly 
or rather some of these guys can't not be like on steroids or something. Yeah. And they're just all hopped up on Lord knows what and just ready to kick some ass. <laughs> yeah. Just ready to then, straight up like rip somebody's head off. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of the, the punches, a lot of the punches and kicks just go straight to the face and Which can't be legal. None of it can be legal, but that, that kind of builds a builds to the final round where, or at least the, before the final round where Kreese says that he wants uh, Daniel taken out. And I don't think it's Bobby. It's one of the Cobra Kai guys just straight up, like, kicks him in the knee. It's Bobby. Takes knee. It's Bobby? Yep. That's right, because he apologizes for it. Mm-hmm. And then Miyagi does the Miyagi thing to it's Daniel's Reiki, knee. maybe? Say what? He, like, Reiki heals him or something? Yeah, or something. So he can't yeah, feel it's, pain? It's magical Asian stereotype stuff, and it's kind of uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But whatever. It gets Daniel back in the fight. Even though he really should not be in the fight because he was super injured. Mm. So his bone yeah. is sticking out of his knee. <laughs> yeah, really. The the real uh the real Cobra Kai season premiere is where Daniel just shows up in a wheelchair because Bobby fucking destroys his knee. <laughs> yeah, he's addicted to pain meds. Yeah. But so Johnny and Daniel face off you know, face off one on one. And it lasts longer than you think it uh, it would. Yeah. Daniel holds his own. Johnny straight up socks him in the eye. Just cold cocks him right in the face. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like, okay, that's where Johnny definitely should get qual- disqualified, right? Yeah. Not so. Not so. Because they continue to fight. And Johnny, once again, just you know socks Daniel right in the leg to take him out. Yeah, he sweeps the leg. And that was Sweep his sensei's leg, advice. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. Right. And he hesitates because he knows it's wrong. He knows it's technically a legal move. Yeah. But it's. But Chris just wants this kid hurt. Yeah, it's unethical given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So he, he does take that moment to pause, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. And everyone boos that- him anyway. Yeah, of course. And it's that exact moment where Johnny's character turns, which I don't think he should be allowed, but then that's just me. Yeah, and also, like, really, this is the point, not where you were, you know, beating him within an inch of his life against the chain link fence or running him down a ravine. This this is it? Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you kick his ass and then an old man beats you up? Like, what? I don't know. Yeah, and you're like, oh, shoot, maybe I shouldn't hurt this kid any more than I have for the entire film. Mm-hmm. This is only, like, the third or fourth time you've tried to, like, straight up murder him. Exactly, yeah. But then Daniel kicks him in the face and wins the tournament and everybody's good. See, the crane, that crane kick, again, can't be legal. I don't think you can kick people in the face. I don't think so. And even if you could, like, that kick, I, I've read people, you know, uh, analyzing that kick that kick leaves you wide open for like a dozen other attacks and it's only it's johnny's fault that he just walks right into it yeah because johnny's an idiot but daniel wins johnny gives him the uh the trophy at the end and says hey you're all right so he (sighs) earns the respect because that's the only way that men can speak is by beating each other up i guess Mm -hmm. yeah daniel does have a good point though uh, in the scene where he's in the locker room and they're healing his leg when, you know, they're, they're telling him, you know, you've proven everything you've had to prove. And he's like, what, that I can take a beating. Yeah. 
And like, yeah, like if he just walks away, like, okay, they're going to just keep on kicking his ass because they know they can. And so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not agreeing with the whole, like, you have to win the fight kind of thing and be a man. But at at what point does, do bullies stop being bullies? I guess is the question. Never. They become president. But, uh, (laughs) well, I mean, in the film, it makes sense. Like the. That it it's earned that right. that line and understanding like yes he has to physically defeat him like it it it, it, it makes sense in the the context of the film it doesn't come yeah. out of nowhere and it's not just sort of shoehorned in there like we've clearly seen it so yeah like Daniel Daniel has to finish this yeah which makes uh, Johnny giving him the trophy and saying good job. It does make it meaningful. Although Mm -hmm. you do have to wonder, like, would he have continued beating him up? Because he does pause. He does. Oh. He does have that moment where he realizes kind of who's pulling the strings. Because at the very, like, the last moment, it turns out, oh, yeah, Kreese is actually the one behind all of this. Like, it's Kreese's fault that Johnny's such a. Which we never understand why. Like, what happened to Kreese? Like, did he not get a pony as a child? Like, what's. (laughs) <laughs> i think i think the actor one time mentioned that like in his own head the backstory was that crease like was a vietnam veteran and came back and was extremely bitter about the way the war ended so he decides to just take it out on kids, that's like, true it does there is a shot of um of him in uh in uniform when they enter yeah. okay um yeah i guess that makes sense i've uh, have like him versus Miyagi, like the the guy who's appropriating uh, martial arts versus the actual like practitioner, kind of butting heads. It's kind of a, a neat little like backstory or a through Interesting. line. Interesting. Yeah. Really get, East meets uh, west. It again. doesn't get brought up em- enough. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and the the it it ends really quickly. There's no like he he's lifted up and carried out on his injured leg as the endorphins are quickly wearing off and the pain is setting in. And Mr. Miyagi smiles, and then the credits roll. Yep. That's it. Freeze frame on Mr. Miyagi's smiling face. Mm-hmm. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the, the music swells, and the music takes us into the end credits. And I only noted one song in the end credits, which is Survivor's The Moment of Truth. Yes. So uh, let's, let's take a listen to that and, and finish up this film. And you're ready to take a chance. If you really believe you can make it, then the power is in your own hands. It's the moment of truth. You're giving it all. Standing alone. Willing to fall. If you can do it, get up and prove it. Get up and show They're trying to replicate Eye of the Tiger. Mm-hmm. But with the a more kid-friendly sound. Yeah. So. And this is... The one, as you said, they've got the music video. This opens the soundtrack. Uh, You're the best closes it. Right. But uh, this is just, it's made for a montage. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised it's not actually in the film. Yeah, that's, that kind of surprised me too. Because you, you would think this would be montage music. Well, I guess in an alternate universe where this is a much hackier movie, this would be the montage music for like uh, Miyagi teaching Daniel how to do blocks and stuff. 
Yeah. Instead of all of the actual lessons that we get, it would just be like covered in two minutes with this song. Mm-hmm. So, um, this song goes on way too long, and there is a key change that actually hurts me. <laughs> and it comes right as the song should be finishing up. You're like, oh, the song's no, it's still going. I love the music video though because it's um you know it's scenes from the movie but it's also the band playing in what I'm only assuming is supposed to be Miyagi's backyard. It's it's kind of you know this um uh, vaguely Asian looking uh garden space with bamboo shoots everywhere and you know waterfalls and all these things but it just I think it's supposed to be Miyagi's backyard. And this this singer it's it's the first song actually though this is the first song that the uh, survival wrote with their new lead singer Jimmy Jameson after they booted uh, the original singer after I Have the Tiger so like I Have the Tiger and Moment of Truth are like little transitional moments for Survivor if anybody in the world cares about that this is important people <laughs> it is the the three Survivor fans out there really appreciate that we pointed this out. <laughs> but uh yeah so the song is yeah fine as far as as far as survivor songs go it's yeah i mean it's 100 percent a survivor song it's it's nearing the point of parody yeah like if you were like write a song that sounds like survivor we don't want to pay them this is exactly what it would sound like mm-hmm. and i 100 like i 100 percent get why this gets upstaged by you're the best yeah, although I kind of like this one better. Really? Yeah. It's not bad. It's just, it's it's not as memorable, I guess. No, I just think, like, musically, it sounds better. Because You're the Best makes it sound like Joe Esposito just finished getting his ass royally handed to him. He's, like, <laughs> way out of breath and he can't reach any of the notes. <laughs> oh, so he just got, he just got his ass kicked and he's trying to make himself feel better. Yeah. He wrote You're the Best. Oh, that's so sad. But yeah, The Moment of Truth is the song that ends the film over the end credits. And hey, that's the Karate Kid, everybody. Yes. Um, There's a couple more songs out here that we didn't talk about Mm -hmm. uh, that I couldn't find in the movie. I really only want to point out um, one, which is our friend Shandy. Uh. Oh, who yeah. has a song called Tough Love. Uh, it's, she was also on the Flashdance soundtrack. She did the song mm-hmm. He's a Dream. This one is more of a ballad, and the drum machine feels like it's really trying to outpace her, <laughs> and she just cannot keep up. There's also a sax, of course, like at the, at the bridge. It feels so terribly out of place. But sax parts were legally required for all songs in the 80s. Oh, absolutely. So. You were, you were not allowed to have a song on a soundtrack if you didn't have Clarence Clemens or something that sounded like him somewhere on your soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So um, are, are there any ones that, uh, that we missed that you want to talk about? Uh, no, we, we pretty much covered it all. Um, I guess I'll, I'll say... As far as final thoughts go, I listened to this album three or four times over the last couple of weeks. And man, aside from two or three songs, this really just, it did not land in much of an impression on me. 
No, it really didn't. It's fun when you're listening to it, but then you immediately forget it. Yeah, and that's surprising to me as a person who has seen the Karate Kid about, you know, a thousand times in my life. And not just now getting into the soundtrack and listening to it. I understand why I never listened to the soundtrack. Yeah. It's kind of, it's just 80s music. Yeah. Just kind of your generic 80s music. It's funny, though, because the the 80s were all about, like, getting people into trends that would, like, quickly sweep them, like, sweep the nation. Mm -hmm. Like, this, obviously, everyone wanted to do karate. Yep. Top Gun saw just a ton of Air Force recruitments. Uh, you know, you had uh, break-in, the breakdance fads. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it really seemed like people really wanted to get into stuff in the 80s, like, obsessively. So they kept making all these movies about, you know, about very <laughs> sort of, at the, kind of niche hobbies like color of money and, and pool hall hygiene. yes exactly trick pool tricks and stuff yeah yeah these movies always kind of chased trends and tried to call, start them and yeah you're right I, I i see that we were very big on like here's the next cool trend karate yeah <laughs> kids are gonna love it it's it's karate it's for kids it's the karate kid <laughs> but uh as far as the Karate Kid goes, um, I don't think we're going to really do much with any of the sequels, unless you just want to talk about the soundtrack to the next Karate Kid, just to get a little bit of Walton Goggins action up in here. No, uh, not unless he sings on it. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, as far as the Karate Kid and music goes, um, we're probably never going to talk about the sequels, but I will mention right now that the Karate Kid Part 2 landed a an Oscar nomination for best original song for the glory of love for some, which is reason. as pizza Terra, a song as you're going to find. Absolutely. And honestly, I get him confused with Michael Bolton. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I hear it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this, this one, again, we, we mentioned this before on another episode, it lost the Oscar to take my breath away by Berlin. So, uh, that's all that karate kid, uh, wrote, I guess. Yes. There's so um I wonder if any of it you know was was revamped for the new Karate Kid soundtrack. Ooh, you know what? I that's a good question and I'm going to look that up right now. The official theme song to the film is Never Say Never, a song by Justin Bieber. God damn it. Uh, I hate it. Oh, that was like the worst possible outcome. I know. It took something that was bad and somehow made it worse. I know. Hey, you got your engine grease in my peanut butter. <laughs> you got your peanut butter in my engine grease. Gross. Uh, <laughs> parts of, let's see. The, the film features Back in Black by ACDC, Higher Ground by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, let's see. Lady Gaga's Poker Face, Florida's Low, Gorilla's Dirty Harry. Um... That's an odd soundtrack. Yes. And but it's definitely can... one that says, we're just going to put a bunch of shit on here and hope it sells. Yeah. Yeah. And from 2010. So I don't know that that was a, a soundtrack that really made much of an impression at all. Kind of like no. this one, to be honest. <laughs> it's keeping a fine tradition. Exactly. Uh, so that's the Karate Kid, everybody. Go watch the final scene. It's fantastic. The rest of the movie's pretty good, too. I enjoy it. Yeah. But it's, it's a good a good movie uh 
you know, good family film, heartwarming, aside from, you know, the murder children subplot. Yeah, it's a fun Saturday afternoon kind of movie. Yeah, it's fall. Curl up under a blanket and watch it. Yeah, exactly. It'll make you feel good. Yeah, So we hey, need that. Libby, what are we doing next time on the show? Next time, we've got a Halloween episode, and we are talking about the soundtrack to the Rick Sloan classic, Hobgoblins, featuring the music of the Fontanelles. Oh my god. I'm so excited about this. There's going to be a lot of MST3K talk, and I can't wait. Yes, that's probably the version we're going to go ahead and watch, so if you want to uh, watch along, grab it. It's on uh, Tubi. Uh, so yeah, that's going to do it for uh, the OST party this for this week. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can send those to us at ostpartypod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us on Twitter at ostparty. Uh, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. Or you can listen to me talk about the other Dutch over on the Shattered Shield podcast. We're starting season six. Nice. Joe, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat or on the Christmas Creeps podcast at Christmas Creeps. We are in the middle of uh, Home for the Horror Days, our yearly celebration of Christmas-themed horror films. It's a blast. I love it so much. Fun. For more dumb thoughts about uh, movies and soundtracks, uh, please uh, subscribe to OST Party on all of your favorite uh, podcast listening devices. So, without further ado, um, I've been Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. When they're all alone and there's no time.